So any chance I get to hear Mark Andreessen speak, I try to um, take notes on because I think he's uh, not only do I, I find the way his mind work, uh, mind his mind works fascinating, but he is very much a student of history. He's studied uh, the fields of both investing and entrepreneurship at length, uh, learned from entrepreneurs that came before him. And in a lot of like early internet history, he was, uh, you know, played large roles. He invented, if not the very first browser, one of the very first browsers. So um, in this case, he's sitting down to talk about like, what can we learn about maybe the future of cryptocurrency based on the internet's past, which I found just like an interesting discussion to have. So he starts off, he says, listen, uh, and this is stuff I had learned recently, I would say in the like, last like two years, the fact that commercial activity on the internet up until like 1994, 1983 um, was actually illegal, which is surprising for a lot of people, but I'll get there in one second. So he says decentralization was key to the er- internet early on. So he's talking about the very uh, early days when it back when it was called, um, when actually it was called the ARPANET, which was funded by the U.S. Defense Department. At that time it was called ARPA, now it's called DARPA. Um, but he says... Let me go back to nine notes real quick. Decentralization was the key to the internet early on. The motivation for the internet was to have a network that could survive a nuclear attack. It was born out of the dangers of the Cold War. At the time, there were data networks, but they all ran through centralized switches. Um, and then he brings up the point I was just uh, referencing earlier. People forget that it was actually illegal to use the internet for commercial activity until 1993. Then he told a story that I didn't even, I've never heard of before. He talks about the very first internet store. He says, the first internet store was a bookstore. It was not Amazon. It was a tiny little science fiction bookstore called Future Fantasy Books. So somebody that used to go to the bookstore, talked to the owner, said, hey, you should, and he worked for a computer company at the time. He said, hey, you should really like try to sell your books online. And the, the owner of the bookstore is like, that's great. What's online? And it was so funny because uh, Future Fantasy Books, they didn't actually own a computer. So the, 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 Previous customer set up a web portal using his computer. So it says, um, one thing that Future Fantasy Books did have was a fax machine, though. So it says, um, you would order the book online and the bookstore would get a fax. The guy in the store would package up the book and ship it. Um, in the first two weeks, the bookstore's business doubled. It turns out there were science fiction readers all over the world that started ordering. And he brings up a point that's really hard for us to understand in the current world that we live in. But now he's talking about. We're probably 26, 27 years in the past from the time I'm recording this. He says, e-commerce was not obvious. It was not obvious that it was going to make sense to have these online businesses. It was not obvious that the use cases were going to have consumer demand. It was not obvious that, we were going to have to be, that you were going to be able to secure it, meaning the payments and the information processing, uh, transmitting over the network. It was not obvious that there would ever be a business model behind it. All of that had to be invented. Then he gets to his main point, which he's referenced in other talks, and he calls it the original sin of the internet. This is something that I wholeheartedly agree with, because if you just analyze it from a dispassionate perspective, like Mark's doing here, like you can clearly see that he, like incentives and the alignment of incentives is, is everything in, in, in terms of human behavior. And you can kind of predict what people are going to do or have an idea of what they're going to do based on what they're, they're incentivized to do. So he says, if you're paying for the information you're getting, then you know there's an alignment of interest between the person giving you the information and you. You might think the logical thing to do is have a buy button in the browser back when they were creating the first browsers. You would think it was the most obvious thing to do. That didn't happen. And it, uh, he also gave a side story about trying to work with because at the time, they're developing browsers. So, okay, the logical thing is let's go work with the, the existing payment networks, credit card, Visa, MasterCard, banks. And, you know, they were completely against it at the time. 
And says, uh, so as a result, because we were unable to build payments into the browser, the internet, at least in the West, and this is very interesting. Uh, so I've studied a lot. There's a there's a um, a person that works at A16Z called Connie Chen, and she studies the in today's internet in China, right? Um, and she there's a ton of videos online. Maybe you know what? I should probably take notes on the video and and send it to you because I think you might find that interesting. Um, but she dictates like how different the West is. Right, we have the advertising-based model for the internet, which Mark's getting to here, and I'll go back to his point in a minute. And then the the almost the complete opposite in China, where everything is you know micropayments, everything runs through essentially you know centralized payment networks that are kind of built in. It's almost like, I guess, never using it, but based on her description, WeChat is basically you know it has a payment built in. Every you you could do literally everything on WeChat. Um, so therefore, you can buy audiobooks, you can buy podcasts, subscribe to newsletters. Uh, order food, do everything, and the payment's seamless. And so uh, Mark is theorizing, you know, because, you know, trying to kind of leapfrog that, that's where we're seeing the growth. And their markets, yeah, they, they have a lot more people, but per capita is way less than the United States, and yet they're blowing the United States out of the market. Like, just compare, like, uh, like the, the industries that I'm interested in, like the podcast market in the United States is about $500 million, uh, rough estimate, all advertising, uh, China's podcast industry, seven to fourteen billion, all paid. So it's just it, so what Mark's about to say here is like the internet. Yeah, we had a crazy economic growth based on advertising. We would have had way more if it actually represented look more like the real world. So it says, um, uh, because we were unable to build payments into the browser. Oh, so anyways, I never finished that. So if you want to learn more about it, because I think we can steal ideas uh, based on what they're doing in uh, other countries such as china and other asian countries into like western markets uh just google connie chan a16z connie chan chan i'm sorry it's c-h-a-n um and like i said i'll probably maybe i'll do like take notes on some of her her essays or, or talks and and turn that into a podcast for you um because i do think it's interesting there's a lot that we can obviously learn um it says says because we are unable to build payments into the browser, the internet in the West is predominantly based on advertising. Downstream, now he talks about like what is the effects of that? What's the second order effects of advertising? Downstream from advertising is everything else that people are anxious and, wor and worked up about online. Privacy, user data collection, user data targeting, third-party ad networks that harvest all this data, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The misalignment of incentives is basically essentially what he's talking about. Does the news site you were reading have the incentive to actually tell you the truth? Or are they getting money from their advertiser and so they are just trying to get you hyped up so you click on more stories and they generate more revenue? This is a discussion I have in person with friends of different political beliefs. It's like, no, my news source doesn't lie to me or this news source doesn't lie to me. And it's just like, well, how do they make money? And I'm like, well, they have ads on their site. Okay, well, what happened? Like, of course they're gonna they're going to inflame and get you excited and emotional because they they understand it's an easy way to hack human psychology. Things that are violent, scary. Uh, things that are meant to make your blood boil when you hear them. You're more likely to pay attention to them. And that's the attention that they, they sell your attention to advertisers. Like, this is very straightforward. I don't understand how this is even a point of contention. Um, if we would have had cryptocurrency in the early 1990s, we would have been able to completely parallel payment system for the internet that would not have been relying on the centralized gatekeepers, Visa, MasterCard, banks. Essentially, they didn't have that because the gatekeeper said no. Had we done that, 80% of what people hate about the internet today would not have been problems. So in his opinion, in Mark's opinion, cryptocurrency is a chance to revisit and fix the original sin. What if you could align economics with user behavior? That is how the real world works. How do I know something is valuable? Somebody is willing to pay for it. The big what if is what business models could have existed this entire time. 
the internet generated a lot of economic growth with just advertising model. What if you had had real econ- what if you had 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 what if you had had a real economic model based on money integrated into the internet from the very beginning? What kinds of services would entrepreneurs come up with that we hadn't even thought of yet? And he finally closes here about this is the exact this is the same thoughts that he's sharing with us here. The same thoughts that he's discussing is the same things he's hearing from entrepreneurs in his office. Like they're thinking along these terms. Uh, what if, because I'm sure I'm not the only one and other people are not the only ones that have noticed there's a great discrepancy in some of the size of the markets in other areas that are not advertising based. What if we could build a different system, a system where advertising wasn't the central model? How might that be an improvement? Either an improvement on what we, ha- what we, do- what we have or just something completely different, better, and, potential, and potentially much bigger than we have today. This is what we are seeing at our firm. Entrepreneurs thinking in these terms.